Well, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, I've mentioned, I uh, shared a couple stories. Uh, I was in Oregon teaching at a Bible college, a Cola Bible College in Cannon Beach, Oregon. Uh, great place. If you know any young people looking for a great one or two year experience where they can really grow in their faith, uh, I can't recommend a Cola highly enough. It's a great place. But I've been teaching out there for about 15 years now, and uh, it was a little disconcerting the first time I went out to Ecola Bible College on the Oregon coast. One of the very first things you notice when you drive into town there in Cannon Beach are tsunami warning signs posted literally all over the town. There are warning signs and evacuation route signs, and, and you start thinking to myself, what, what in the world, <laughs> you know, what did I get myself into? You know, I mean, a kid from the Midwest, I mean, the most we get is a tornado warning, right? And, you know, I mean, we know tornadoes come, but a tornado, it's like, you know, throwing a dart at a dartboard, and, you know, it's like one particular spot gets hit, and everybody else is just fine. Well, when a tsunami warning comes, it's like people start heading for the hills because it's not just like one little area. It's the potential for a massive wave to come and wipe out an entire coastline. So, so there in Cannon Beach, you see these warning signs all over the place. The, the first time I went there, I went into the cabin where they housed the speakers, uh, and uh, the Bible College is literally just a couple hundred yards off the ocean. I mean, it's right there on the coast. And uh, I go into my cabin, and the very first thing I notice when I open the door is right there on the side of the door, attached to the wall, is a tsunami escape backpack. It's a tsunami escape, emergency escape backpack. And they had this thing loaded up with supplies in case the sirens go off and you literally have to start running heading for the hills. So, you know, you, you kind of like don't necessarily sleep too great, you know, the first couple nights you're there, uh, thinking about, you know, massive tsunamis in the background. Well, this year I showed up, and they had a new feature added to my tsunami emergency uh, escape bag. They had a little sign posted by the door encouraging people to download a brand new app on your phone called MyShake. MyShake, all right? Now, apparently, the University of California, Berkeley, a couple years ago, developed this app. It's an early warning system that works all across the West Coast. And any time there's an earthquake of a four or greater magnitude, this MyShake app will alert you and will give you between 60 and 80 seconds of advance warning for the aftershocks of, a, of an earthquake. Now, you, you kind of laugh at that, but think about this. I mean, if you know an earthquake's coming and you have an extra 60 seconds to duck for cover or, you know, a potential tsunami's coming and you have an extra minute to buy to, to get out of there safely, I mean, that could really help. Well, the MyShake app actually was proven to work just this past fall. There was a 4.5 magnitude earthquake in California, and the app worked like a charm. It gave everybody 80 seconds notice, and sure enough, 80 seconds later, the earthquake came and people were ready for it. And so it was a very interesting early warning system that people on the West Coast have taken advantage of. Now, I share about that MyShake app because the reality is God has given us an early warning system. God has given us, his people, an early warning system for the events that he has told us are going to take place, cataclysmic events that are coming in a period known as the end of time or the end times. God has warned us as his people to be ready, that the, the end times are coming, that there is going to be a day when God is going to bring judgment upon this present fallen world system. He's going to bring judgment upon this world and ultimately going to make all things new. And he's given us his warning system in his word, the Bible. God's word truly is an early warning system so that we can take shelter in him before the disaster of the end time strikes. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, the promise of the second coming, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, this morning we're beginning this new sermon series on the end times. And today we're going to be looking specifically at the early warning system that God has given us. 
an early warning system for these end times. You see, the reality is God doesn't want us to be unaware about what the future holds. He wants us to be prepared. And more than just being prepared, he wants to spur us on towards action in light of what he has told us will one day take place. That's the whole purpose for giving us these end times prophecies, both to warn us but to spur us on to action. This morning, as we begin this new series, this eight-week series, where we're going to be looking at different significant events in the end times, I want to start out this morning by giving us sort of a broad overview, a big-picture understanding of end times prophecy to to sort of set the table for where we're going to go the rest of this series. And today what I want to deal with are three foundational truths that we need to be aware of when it comes to studying the end times. Okay, three foundational truths. The, The first of these foundational truths is that God has given us a prophecy book. God has given us a prophecy book, his Bible. It's very interesting, you know, when we think about this series on the end times this morning. It's important that we recognize that the Bible really is a prophecy book. And what is prophecy? Prophecy, friends, is simply history written in advance. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is history written in advance. These are things that 2,000 years from now or 200,000 years from now, we're going to look back and recognize these were historical events that God had told us in advance were coming. They were going to take place. And again, the Bible is really a prophecy book. It's very interesting when you discover how much prophecy we have in the Bible. Nearly one-third of the Bible that you're holding in your hands right now, nearly one-third of that Bible is predictive prophecy about future events. Think about that. One-third of this book is predictive prophecy about future events. Hundreds of these prophecies about individuals, about cities, nations, have already been fulfilled. There are over a hundred Old Testament prophecies pointing to the first coming of Jesus Christ that were all precisely fulfilled in him 2,000 years ago. In fact, the prophecies in Scripture that have already been fulfilled are some of the greatest reasons we have to believe in the authority, the inspiration, the inerrancy, the trustworthiness of God's Word. Fulfilled prophecy is an incredible reason that we have to believe and be confident. When we look at the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's very interesting. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Do you realize there are over 1,800 prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming of Jesus Christ? In the New Testament, in the New Testament, we have over 300 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament has to do with the Lord's second coming. 23 of the 27 books in the New Testament deal extensively with issues pertaining to the end times and second coming of Jesus Christ. And for every biblical prophecy that we have pointing to the first coming of Jesus, friends, there are eight pointing to the second coming of Jesus. So again, the Bible truly is a prophecy book. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, friends, how much of God's Word is inspired by him? All of it, right? Paul says that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. If all Scripture is inspired by God, and if so much of it pertains to prophecy, especially prophecy about the end times and second coming of Christ, friends, 
do you not think that God expects us to take this topic seriously? I think he does. I think he absolutely does, which is why he's given us so much prophetic testimony to it. God wants us to take this topic of the end times and the second coming of Jesus very seriously. And so he's given us nearly a third of his inspired word to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us on these events. And this is going to be our goal together over the next eight weeks in this series on the end times. Now, when you're talking about the end times, there are basically three primary views that people in the Christian church have held over the centuries. And each of these views is oriented around the second coming of Christ and a period, a thousand-year period, known as the millennium. This is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. And each of these end times views relates to these events, the second coming of Christ and the millennium, this thousand-year period, a thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, the premillennial position, there's three, three positions. The premillennial position says that Jesus Christ is going to come a second time. He's going to return bodily to earth at the second coming, and then he's going to rule and reign on earth for a literal thousand-year period. That's the millennium. So, so the premillennial means he is going to come before the millennium begins. The, the second position that you'll find in church history is what is called the amillennial position. And the amillennial position spiritualizes the millennium. The amillennial position doesn't take the thousand-year period literally. Instead, the amillennial position says that the thousand-year period is just a, a symbolic idea and that we are actually currently in the millennial era where Christ is today ruling and reigning over all creation from his heavenly throne. So, so this idea says that we are currently in the millennia. We are waiting for Christ to return to bring about final judgment. But the, but the amillennial position basically looks at most of the end times prophecies in the Bible and interprets these things spiritually or symbolically. They're not literally going to be fulfilled in history. The third position that you'll find is what is called the post-millennial position. And the post-millennial position is the idea that the church is going to usher in a great age of reformation spiritually and culturally that we're going to basically transform this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there's going to be a thousand-year period on earth where the church is going to lead the way in righteousness and justice, making this world almost a utopian-type society. And after that thousand-year period, then Christ is going to come. So, so the post-millennial position says that it's our responsibility as the church to bring about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now there are those who would add a fourth position called the pan-millennial position. This is the idea that it's just going to all pan out in the end. <laughs> now friends, I think it's important that we understand this morning a few things about these various perspectives that you'll find. First thing I want to highlight this morning is that each of these views that you see on the screen behind me, each of these views are legitimate views for Christians to hold. Okay? You can be a Bible-believing, gospel-affirming follower of Jesus Christ, and you can hold any of these positions. And I say that because it's important that we recognize these are not issues to divide over as brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not central issues to our faith as followers of Jesus, okay? Now, at the same time, it's also important to recognize that each of these positions can't be true, okay? They all can't be true, all right? So here's the deal. We're not going to divide over these issues, but we also have to recognize and be honest about the fact that they can't all be true, and so we might have people in this room today who, who hold to one or the other of these positions, but the reality is, is like one of us is correct on these things, right? One of these positions really is the biblical 
true position. And so, what is our task as followers of Jesus? Well, our task, because all Scripture is inspired by God, our task then is to take God's Word seriously, to examine the Scriptures, and to do our best to faithfully discern what God's Word teaches us about the end times. That's going to be our goal. Now, for me, as I've said about this task of discerning what God's Word teaches about the end times, I've become convinced that the premillennial position is the most biblically accurate position. I hold to what is called a premillennial view, but I also hold a, a very common premillennial perspective known as the pre-tribulation rapture. We're going to talk more about that, how the rapture fits into the premillennial view uh, here this morning. But this is the perspective that I've come to embrace and, and the one that I think is most consistent with the biblical revelation. And so this is the perspective that we're going to spend our time looking at over the next seven weeks together. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Jason, that's not really fair. I mean, you're only going to focus on one of the three positions. Well, yeah, I'm the pastor, okay? So I get to make that choice, <laughs> all right? If you want to become a pastor, you can go preach anything you want. But I'm going to teach you, my church, the position that I think is most correct. Now, I say that, and again, I want to be very clear. I am not going to be disparaging about any of these other views, okay? I think the view that I hold, the premillennial view, is the most correct, but again, I want to affirm, if you hold a different perspective, God bless you. That's just fine. We're not going to divide over that. We're going to worship Jesus together, and we're going to stay on mission together, because ultimately that's what's most important. But again, I believe that God has given us a prophecy book, and as a result of that, we need to take God's prophetic word seriously. Now, I've discovered over the years that a lot of people fail to study Bible prophecy because they find it overwhelming. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have ever found Bible prophecy to be overwhelming, right? I mean, honestly, I can see some of your eyes were already glazing over as I'm talking about the, the three different views, okay? I get that. The Bible is filled with prophecy. Like I said, nearly a third of it. And so sometimes it does take some hard work to dig in and to discern what God has revealed to us on these issues. And you'll find prophecy teachers that have, you know, elaborate charts and diagrams, and, and it can get extremely confusing to try to figure out what is going on. And so what I want to do in this series is try to speak to prophecy as clearly as I can, as simply as I can, so that we can be confident about what God's Word has revealed to us about these end times events, all right? So over the next seven weeks, this is what we're going to do. I, I've put together a little timeline for you this morning that helps lay out the perspective on the end times that we're going to be studying together over the next seven weeks. This is what is called, again, the, the premillennial position with a pre-tribulational rapture view. Now, again, not all Christians agree with this position, but... I would argue it is the most biblical option based on my personal study. What, is, what are we going to look at? We're going to look at, over the next seven weeks, seven key topics, seven key events in the future that God has prophesied to us. Again, prophecy is, future writ, is history written in advance. Okay? We're going to look at seven topics over the next seven weeks. We are currently in what is called the church age. The cross there represents Jesus 2,000 years ago on earth, the incarnation, his death, his resurrection. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and we are now in the church age where we are carrying out the mission that God has given us to go out and evangelize the world, to reach the lost and to disciple them to become followers of Jesus. That's where we find ourselves today. The next event that we are waiting for in the biblical prophetic timeline is what is called the rapture. Now, there are Christians who disagree about when the rapture is going to take place. I believe the rapture is going to take place before a seven-year period of history known as the tribulation. The tribulation is spelled out in many places throughout Scripture, but it's going to be a time where God pours out his judgment upon the sin of this world. But we as Christians don't have to worry because we're not going to experience that. God is going to take the church out of this world in an event called the rapture before that period of tribulation begins. 
So that's the next event we're expecting, is the rapture of the church. Now, I want to encourage you, come back next week. Because next week, when we talk about the rapture, we are bringing in one of my closest friends, who's a world expert on Bible prophecy, Pastor Mark Henry. He's going to be here with us to speak on the topic of the rapture. I don't know anybody better to teach us on the topic of the rapture. So Pastor Mark Henry is going to be with us next week laying out the biblical case for the rapture, the hope that we have because of the rapture. I I promise you it's going to be an awesome Sunday morning. Following the rapture, though, the next event that we're going to experience as the church is what is called the Bema Judgment of Christ. Now, the Bema judgment is when Jesus is going to judge his church positively, rewarding us positively for the things that we did in this world on his behalf. So so this isn't a judgment of salvation. We've already been saved. The rapture has taken us out and delivered us from the tribulation, and then we're going to stand before the Bema judgment seat of God where he's going to reward the church for the things that we did in this world on his behalf. The next event on the timeline, then, is the tribulation, this seven-year period where God pours out his judgment on this world. This is the period where the the figure known as the Antichrist is going to reign over the earth, and it's going to be a horrible period. You don't want to be here for it. And if you know Jesus, you won't be here for it. But there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation. At the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to return again the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to return in his final judgment on the sin of this world. And at that point, he's going to establish his millennial kingdom, his thousand-year rule and reign, a literal reign on this earth where Jesus is going to reign over the entire world from Jerusalem. This is all prophesied in the Bible. At the end of that millennial period, Jesus is going to judge Satan and all those who had followed uh, Satan, those who never trusted in him. At the end of that period, there's going to be a final judgment known as the Great White Throne Judgment. After that final judgment, there is going to be the new heavens and the new earth that will be created by Jesus Christ where we will live in the new heavens and the new earth for all of history, for the rest of eternity. So those are the seven major events of end times prophecy that the Bible lays out for us. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at each of them, the rapture, the beam of judgment, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and then the new heavens and the new earth. Again, we're going to try to keep this as simple as we can so that we can understand what God has revealed to us on these important issues. Now, the question that I'm sure is on everybody's mind this morning is this. Jason, if we're in the church age... Where exactly on this timeline are we? Right? I mean, like, if the next event we're waiting for is the rapture of the church, well, when is that going to happen? Well, friends, I got big news for you this morning. Nobody knows for sure. (laughs) Nobody knows for sure. In fact, Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day or the hour. Only my Father in heaven knows it, Jesus said. So, So we can't be sure exactly when... God's rapture of the church is going to take place, but God has given us many indicators that lead me to believe the rapture could come at any moment. It's the only thing we're waiting for in God's prophetic timeline. There there literally is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church takes place. It could happen at any moment. And I believe God has given us many indicators that it could be very near. This leads me to point number two this morning. Second fundamental truth we need to understand when we study Bible prophecy. God has revealed for us signs of the times. God's revealed signs that we can be watching for to know that his return is imminent. When I was a little kid growing up, uh, my dad used to, my dad was a Christian apologist and evangelist, and we spent a lot of times in the summer traveling out to the West Coast where my dad would speak at conferences and family camps and churches. And, and so we drove out west many times. And one of the highlights of our trip out west was our stop every summer at Wall Drug. How many of you guys have ever been to Wall Drug? All right. A lot of you. Now, for those of you who have been to Wall Drug, you'll know that one of the highlights of Wall Drug are all the signs on the road 
leading up to your arrival at Wall Drug, do you know that Wall Drug actually has 300 paid advertisement signs all over the nation, all across America, pointing people to come and visit Wall Drug in Wall, South Dakota? But it's interesting, as you're driving down I-90 West from Minnesota to South Dakota, headed to Wall Drug, you start seeing the signs all the way, right? 201 miles to go! 150 miles to go, 29 miles to go, 25 minutes. Wall drug, next two exits. Wall drug, half a block away. And again, as you begin to see the signs, the signs begin to increase. The, the message on the signs begins to intensify. And all of that is intended to make us more excited about arriving at our destination. Well, friends, just like the wall drug signs point us to the attraction of wall drug, God has given us, his people, signs of the times. And the signs tell us that we are getting closer. We're getting closer. What are the signs of the times that, that God has given us? Well, we're going to look this morning at a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. This is a passage of Scripture which is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And what that means is this was a sermon that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. It was a sermon he gave to his disciples about the end times. And this really is arguably the most important end times passage in the Bible that we have, is the Olivet Discourse. You can find this Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. You can find it in Luke chapter 21. You can find it in Mark chapter 13. Uh, three of the four Gospels deal extensively with Jesus' teachings on the end times. And I want to look this morning at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14, where I believe Jesus has laid out very clearly for us signs that we can be looking for to help us understand that his second coming is very near. His coming in, his rapture of the church, taking us out of this world, is very near. Let's read verses 1 through 14 together. <clears throat> Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So get the picture here. Jesus and his disciples, they're up on the Mount of Olives, which is just across the valley from the Temple Mount. All right? I mean, th this isn't very far. You could maybe hit a golf ball across that valley. All right? I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty close spot. So they're on this mountain, the Mount of Olives, looking across the valley at the temple. That's where we are in this, in this passage. When the disciples came to him, they pointed out the buildings of the temple. The temple was a grand, exquisite facility. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. I mean, it was just a beautiful facility covered in gold. So the disciples are marveling over the temple. But Jesus answered his disciples, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now that statement is very important because that statement was fulfilled 40 years later when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem and completely leveled the Temple Mount. And to this day, the temple has never been rebuilt. In fact, you go to Jerusalem, you can still see the ruins, the rubble of the temples uh, that are spread around the old city of Jerusalem. So this is a huge hint for us in terms of how we're supposed to interpret everything that comes afterwards, right? If the very first thing Jesus says came literally true in history, then we have to believe that everything else he says afterwards is also going to come literally true in history. So Jesus tells his disciples, not one of these stones is going to be left on top of another. They're all going to be thrown down. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. 
And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, Matthew 24 and 25 goes on to describe more of the end times events. We're going to look at those descriptions in subsequent weeks coming up, but these first 14 verses in particular deal with the initial signs that we need to be looking for to know that Jesus is coming, his coming for the church first in the rapture, and then the second coming, that these events are imminent. Jesus gives us signs of the times here. What are the signs? Well, I've got an acronym for you this morning. Signs. The S stands for spiritual signs. Jesus gives us here first and foremost spiritual signs that we can be watching for. Verses 4 and 5, verses 9 through 11, verse 14. What does Jesus tell us are the spiritual signs? He says, number one, false Christs and false prophets are coming. Be on alert. Many will come in my name trying to deceive you. It's very interesting when we think about the reality of false Christs and false prophets in our world. You take our own nation, America, alone. Do you know 150 years ago here in America there were just a few thousand people involved in the cults? Today, there are over a thousand cults just in our country with over 30 million people following these cults. False Christs, false prophets, false messiahs. For many of you here this morning, probably the first time you heard the term cult was in November of 1978 when headlines all over the world blared out the news that 913 Americans had committed mass suicide in a place called Jonestown, Guyana, following a man named Jim Jones who claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. He had so convinced his followers that he was the second coming of Jesus Christ that when he told his followers to dip Dixie cups into grape Kool-Aid laced with cyanide poisoning and that that would usher them into paradise, 913 Americans were so convinced that Jim Jones was the voice of God on earth that they followed him to their deaths. Their bodies laying bloated in the jungles of South America. Very interesting, the commander of the U.S. forces he was an Air Force uh, captain who went down to help clean up the camp and bring the bodies back home. When they returned home with the bodies, he held a press conference at Dover Air Force Base. And in his press conference, he made a very interesting observation. He says, you want to know the thing that interested me most about Jonestown? When we cleaned out the camp, we didn't find a single Bible in all of Jonestown. Jim Jones had so thoroughly replaced the truth of God's word with his own man-made teachings, his own man-made prophecies and revelations, that his people were convinced that he truly was the Messiah, the voice of God on earth, and they went to their deaths. There's been a literal explosion of false Christs, false prophets throughout our world over the last hundred years. Not only false Christs and false prophets in, in our country, but literally around the world. Friends, do you realize today that the largest, one of the largest religions in the world, the religion of Islam, for 1,500 plus years has been following a false prophet, Muhammad, over a billion people today following a false prophet. Jesus warned us false prophets are coming to deceive many. Jesus then tells us the second spiritual sign, the persecution of the church. He says, you will be persecuted. You will be hated by all people for my name's sake. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. Today, according to ministries like Open Doors International that works with the persecuted church, today, 360 million Christians around the world live in nations under severe persecution. Just this past year, 5,110 churches or Christian buildings have been burned or destroyed. Just this past year, 5,898 Christians have been murdered for their faith in Jesus. The top two worst persecutors of Christians in the world today are the countries of Afghanistan and North Korea. 
Afghanistan jumped to number one on this list after America's disastrous withdrawal from that country back in August. It's the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian today as the Taliban is systematically slaughtering God's people. Jesus goes on. He says there's going to be a great apostasy and a falling away from the faith. Friends, we've seen in our own nation the rise of the group known as the nuns. Recent Gallup polls tell us that 25% of adults in the United States claim their religious background as being nun. They call them the nuns. By 2035, they estimate that this group will entail upwards of 50% of our nation. No spiritual commitment whatsoever. We've all seen, sadly, how many people who once identified as Christians have dropped out of the faith. A recent Pew survey said in the last 10 years, 12% of those who used to identify as Christians no longer identify as Christians. Just in the last 10 years. Some of the most secular nations in the world today were thoroughly Christian just 100 years ago. Places that used to send missionaries all over the world, we're now sending missionaries to. Places like Norway and Sweden and other countries throughout Europe, which used to be all Christian, and now they're the most secular in the world. Jesus said there's going to be a great falling away from the faith. We've seen, sadly, many once faithful denominations now accepting and promoting lies and heresies. You can't trust the Bible. You can't trust the authority of Scripture. Redefining God's Word on sexuality and gender and marriage. Teaching people that salvation isn't just found in Jesus Christ, but you can be saved following any religion as long as you're sincere. The idea of universalism. Being taught in Christian denominations. Denying the doctrine of hell and eternal judgment. These are commonplace in many denominations across the world today, teaching unbiblical truth, lies, and heresies. Jesus said these are the signs we can watch for. Not all the spiritual signs were bad, however. Jesus said there would be the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. Jesus says the gospel is going to be preached in all the nations, and then the end will come. And today, friends, do you know that there is not a single nation on earth that hasn't heard the message of Jesus Christ? The gospel has been preached in every nation. There are still some unreached people groups that haven't yet heard the name of Jesus. But the word of God is rapidly spreading. Jesus said these would be the signs. Jesus said the I in our acronym stands for Israel signs. There's going to be signs in the nation of Israel that we can look for. Luke 21, 24, for example. Jesus' Olivet Discourse, as recorded by Luke Jesus says they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. This is in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They will fall by the sword. They will be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When the Romans conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD, from that point forward, over the next 1897 years, Jerusalem was under Gentile control all the way until June 7, 1967, when the Jewish people finally regained control of Jerusalem. This was in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as well, prophecies like Amos 9, 14 through 15, where God says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. And on May 14, 1948, Israel became a Jewish state for the first time in nearly 2,000 years. Many people thought that this would never happen. But this is a fulfillment of God's prophecy that we've seen in this generation, many of you. The restoration of Israel as a nation, the restora restoration of Israel controlling Jerusalem, these are all in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It's interesting, my friend Mark Henry, who's going to be here next week, he was telling me earlier this week, he has a study Bible from the 1800s. And in that study Bible, they were convinced that these prophecies about Israel and the Jews reclaiming Jerusalem and re rebuilding the nation of Israel, they were convinced just 200 years ago that these were all spiritual prophecies. They would never be fulfilled. He literally has notes in this study Bible that say that these can't be literally true prophecies. They have to be spiritual. God's going to restore the Jews to a spiritual Canaan 
Why? Because the Jews have been dispersed all around the world. There's no way that these could ever be literally fulfilled. But again, we've seen the fulfillment of these prophecies in our generation. Jesus goes on, he says there's going to be global signs we can watch for. Matthew 24, 6 through 7, Jesus says there's going to be wars and rumors of war. Friends, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the human race. Over 120 million people were killed in the last 100 years in war, genocide, mass murder. And sadly, the 21st century so far looks to be keeping pace with the last 100 years. Jesus says nation would rise against nation. The Greek word there for nation is ethnos. It means ethnic groups. There's going to be ethnic conflict. Ethnic groups are going to fight against one another. Friends, we see that taking place all over the world today at unprecedented rates. Jesus said there's going to be natural signs. Natural signs, Matthew 24, 7 through 8. He says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Luke 21 adds pestilence, disease, or plagues. In the 20th century, you've seen diseases like AIDS and Ebola and SARS and bird flu, the 1918 flu, the Asian flu, COVID, swine flu, cholera, Zika virus. The increase of pestilences that Jesus predicted. Some people say, oh, come on, Jason. I mean, there's always been wars. There's always been disease. There's always been plagues. That's true, friends. But in verse 8, Jesus tells us that these signs are going to be like birth pangs. You ladies who have given birth, you know what a birth pang is. I remember when my wife gave birth to our first child, Caleb, 16 years ago. 20 hours in labor with Caleb. She had her first birth pang. And over the next 24 hours, those birth pangs increased in intensity. They increased in frequency. And we knew as the intensity and frequency increased that our baby was soon to be born. Jesus says these signs are going to be like birth pangs. You're going to see more natural disasters. You're going to see more plagues and pestilence. You're going to see more wars and rumors of war. Jesus says next that there's going to be social signs. Social signs. Matthew 24, 12. Jesus says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Friends, this doesn't describe our world today. I don't know what does. The love of many has grown cold. Lawlessness has increased. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul describes the end times like this. He says, understand in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Friends, if that doesn't sound like our day and age... Wow. Paul says people are going to love self, they're going to love money, they're going to love pleasure. The late great pastor Adrian Rogers used to say in the end times, theology is going to turn into meology. The love of most is going to grow cold. Yes, friends, the signs are all around us. Billy Graham used to tell the story of a little boy who was in bed and in this family's home, they had a large grandfather clock that used to chime for each hour of the day. This little boy was in bed one night. It was late at night, and he heard the chimes start going off. Chimes went off one hour, two hours, three hours, 10 hours, 11 hours, 12 hours. But on this particular night, the grandfather clock, for some reason, malfunctioned and rang a 13th time. And the boy counted the 13th chime, and he jumped out of bed, and he went running down the hall yelling for everybody, get up, get up, it's later than it's ever been. <laughs> Friends, I have to agree with that little boy. It is later than it's ever been. The signs are all around us. So what are we to make of all this? I want to share three points with you this morning, real briefly, that we're going to hit on over the next seven weeks. Three reasons that God has given us prophecy. It's not when or what, but he's given us prophecy so that we can know the so what. Okay? 
It's not about the when or what. It's about the so what. God's given us these signs to motivate us. He's given us them to motivate us, number one, to be people of hope. People of hope. Jesus says in Luke 21, 28, Jesus says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Friends, a lot of people get concerned and fearful when they think about the end times. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus, Jesus says, look up and be people of hope because your redemption is drawing near. Dr. A.W. Tozer once said that a scared world needs a fearless church. People all around us today look at what's going on in the world. They see what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. They see COVID. They see ethnic groups fighting. They see riots in our streets. They see lawlessness increasing. Our world is wondering what's going on. Friends, they need a fearless church that is willing to stand up and tell them that there is a God who loves them, a God who's made a way for them to be saved. We can be people of hope. The second reason that God's given us these signs is given them to motivate us to holiness, to be people who live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Friends, Jesus wants us to be ready every day for his arrival. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is how is the Lord going to find us when he returns? Are we going to be people pursuing godliness, righteousness, holiness in our lives? How is he going to find us? Look what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 37. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Friends, how do you want the Lord to find you when he returns? Is he going to find us living for him? seeking to honor him, giving him the glory, using the gifts and talents and abilities he's given us to bring awareness to his kingdom. How do we want Jesus to find us when he returns? Jesus says, be ready. The third reason he's given us these signs is, is that we might help. Help who? Help the lost come to find Jesus. The only thing that's truly going to matter in the end. Do people know Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's true, friends. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, this is our calling as God's people. He's called us to bring the good news, the hope, the message of salvation to the entire world. Jesus has given us his early warning system. He's told us these are the signs. The end is soon to come. And every single one of us in this room knows people who are living lives completely oblivious to the reality that the Lord is going to return. And he might return very soon. And when he returns, those who don't know him are going to experience a period of judgment in this world, a period like the world has never seen before, a terrible period of tribulation. And only those who know Jesus are going to escape it. And friends, God has called us to take the message of the gospel, the good news, to a lost world that so desperately needs it. This is our calling, friends. We're to live as people of hope. We're to shine brightly the light of the gospel by living lives of holiness in this dark age. We're to help the lost by pointing them to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, are you going to be faithful to the master's call? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your truth you've given us in the word. Truth about what will take place in the end times. Signs of the times that we can be watching for, to be ready. Signs to motivate us, to be people who live lives of hope and holiness and, and helping the lost come to know Jesus. 
God, help us not to look at this topic of the end times in a spirit of fear and dismay and anxiety, but Lord, help this topic to motivate us to faithfully live out the calling that you've put on our lives as your people. Help us as a church to continue to be a lighthouse shining brightly the truth and hope of Jesus in our community. Help each of us take the message of the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our workplaces, to people who so desperately need to know that all of the signs we see in the world today are pointing to the end, but there there is a way to be delivered. There's a way to be saved, and his name is Jesus. Help us to be faithful in that calling, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that you've given us in it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. Again, I want to encourage you, don't miss next week. It's going to be an awesome session looking at the rapture with Pastor Mark Henry. Our benediction today comes from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.